Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. First thing, want to let everybody know that we have a Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon now available. You can get to that under this video. It's the top link. And that will enable you to, first of all, see these videos before anyone else sees them. Give you a leg up on the Kayfabe effect, which sometimes is quite the problem. So being first in line is a good thing. It'll also give you access to our streaming video uh, where we record each weekly session and uh, a little bit more uh, back and forth and conversation with the people that are watching along with us. We have a couple dozen people like in the in the chat right now and they're seeing the videos before anybody sees anything. So. And talking about some future videos that we may be making. So check that out if you're so inclined. And if not, don't worry, we will still be posting videos here on YouTube for everybody every day. Also, the best way to support us is through buying our books. We are working cartoonists and you can see our bibliography right here on screen right now. Ed's latest works, Red Room Trigger Warnings and Red Room Antisocial Network, Hip Hop Family Tree, X-Men Grand Design, WYSIWYG. Put all those books on your shelf and we'll appreciate it. My latest, Hulk Grand Design coming to stores in February. So pre-order that one if you haven't already. Plain Janes, Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive out there now. So again, add those to your collection and we will be grateful. So today's video, going a little bit outside of comics, but I think definitely something we can all benefit from, Cartoon Modern, Style and Design in 50s Animation. And part of the reason that I wanted to look at this now is this book is out of print, but the author has made it available on archive.org. Yeah. So you guys at home, if you see some stuff that you really like in this book, by all means, you'll be able to track that one down really easily and at no cost. So no kayfabe effect, but maybe some uh, extra knowledge to spread around. And I found this kind of funny. This is just a little, like, a, a, a gift book that I got. And it's about book lovers. And all of it is full of, like, all kinds of books and books on shelves and background books. Cartoon Modern, sitting on the top of the stack of books on this page of uh, just all kinds of book-related stuff in here. But I thought it was amazing to see Cartoon Modern the same week that we were going to talk about this. That's fine. So this is a big book. We'll kind of flip through and, and just kind of, like, bounce around topic wise and uh, one of my first stories about this book is the way that I got hold of this yeah do you remember about 10 years or 12 years ago there was a, a kerfluffle on Amazon somebody had messed up pricing I think it may have been a disgruntled employee or something on their way out the door on like a Friday so all weekend books were like 90% off a lot of books I ended up getting this one and uh, a few other big hardcover books from them and it was such a blow up of a mess that they would issue refunds and stuff. So I ended up getting this book for free and an Amazon refund and like a couple of other books. <laughs> One of my all time great scores, but it had been on my list for a while. And uh, what this book does, besides giving a lot of history of animation and context for what was going on, why there was a change in 1950s animation following say, maybe Disney being the, um, you know, the big influence in the forties in a more naturalistic style, what happens in the 50s is one a response to what is popular but also a response to what is going on in all the visual arts outside of animation and they started bringing talent in that were not necessarily animators but might be designers yeah look at that virgil parts like like i think of him as being a route to uh, a lot of that 50s animation with those characters with the noses absolutely and you know Stuart Davis, another one that you're going to see a lot of paintings in here that I think call to mind Stuart Davis. But some of the influences that are around at that time, and that you know animators are visual artists, so they're looking at what's popular and what's trendy and what's new and exciting, and that stuff starts finding its way in. When you start seeing this stuff, then you start to think about the Shags and the Tim Biscups and, and like all those dudes that that John Kay that, that completely were inspired by this era of cartooning. 
and it's awesome because like i don't know how they they piece together there's a gigantic page of fine print at the back of like thanking everybody for this art but finding stuff like the concepts and the roughs and the sketches and storyboards and character designs that lead to like the finished art pretty amazing like somebody did some real digging to get to this stuff and there's it's mixed media man like the cool thing about seeing this stuff still and isolated is that you get to see it and you're like okay this is fucking cut up construction paper on oh, yeah. for the backgrounds and shit it's super inventive in that regard and these are alphabetically organized by studios and they kind of give a, a little history of this studio what they did who worked there a lot of these names as you can imagine move from studio to studio so guys who have decades long careers big influences you know like certain ones of these guys and they'll often be profiled as we go through there's also um Emphasis is on New York and LA for most of these studios, but there are outliers. And a lot of this work, it's like industrial applications. It's advertising. Sure. And I always think like the great thing of that is you're not spending two, three years on a feature. Instead, you're doing, you know, a bunch of these commercials where it's like experiment with style, promote somebody new to art director, take a chance. You think about that, man, like uh, like Jeff, Jeff Smith, I don't think he's ever lived outside of Columbus and had an animation studio like. They did do a feature, they did Bebe's Kids, but I think most of it was uh, commercial work. Yes. And I, when I first got hold of this thing, and I'm still going through it this week to prep. Yeah, this this page right here, man, uh, it makes me think of Scott Morse, uh, who's who's at Pixar now. And he had, remember, like, he just, like, had that period where he used every known, like, indie publisher. To, he just had a million books out for, like, a couple, three, five-year period. And it would be this kind of style where, where it's this quick line, this brush line. It's all solid. It's all there with like a colored background and like the colors kind of going out. So I, f I feel like he pulls a lot from this era for that period of his work. Yeah, I think that's very true. And we'll see like uh, Noble, one of the, the big influences was somebody that he made a book about. And uh, he's going to be represented towards the end of this book pretty heavily as uh, just a huge, you know, these guys cast such a huge influence over the industry, a handful of them. But like character design will be featured through here. Look at this as like pencil line. Oh, yeah. You know, like this is just a soft pencil where you're you're almost turning it on its side to get some of the line variation. But one line on all of these things, on the forms, on the faces, you know, that big heavy chin line. It's just the edge of the pencil somebody's pulling across. And it's all just like this perfectly balanced thing. These like... In order to get here, I promise you, these artists know exactly how to draw the most beautiful figures, like at like a croquis drawing uh, exercise, because all of those rules are there. And man, when I was when I was in Tokyo, like shared a table with Jeff Darrow, and I was watching him draw loose, and he would draw something that looked like off balance or something, but then he would like draw this swooping line in the back and, and make give these characters balance and stuff. And he has a long history in animation early on. The ability to do like weight and volume with one line and no, no real shading, it just blows my mind. And then another piece to take away, like, like color will be really interesting throughout here. The lettering is really, like I've stolen a lot of lettering from this. And some of this stuff you'll recognize, right? Hanna-Barbera. So you get to hear some history of Hanna-Barbera studio. Which, which is great, Bid, because, because like it's something I was always curious about. And it turns out like... Listen, we know all these people like in comics who got dissed and fucked over. Like, have you ever heard of Ed Benedict? Because I didn't, and he created all these characters. It wasn't Hannah or Barbara who created them shits. It's a guy called Ed Benedict. Yes. And it's um, we're talking. He gets some real props too. They praise him a lot because they said like part of this animation style, the rise of it is budgets shrunk. Yeah. So now you don't have like your all kinds of animation. Like you can't afford to do movement everywhere. 
the emphasis shifts to design and Benedict is really good at character design. So you'll hear like different snippets of interviews from people and they just praise the hell out of him. But you can see the evolution of some of these designs. I mean, this is a more important thing to show when you talk about evolution, like you look at Flintstones way more, you know, iconic and shit. Look at that. They were like Beetle Bailey kind of characters to begin. Well, look at how far out they are, you know, in this iteration. That's what they talk about, man. You like, in order to enter, you got to take it everywhere. Look There's at that, more of dude. your mixed media that you were talking Fabric about. For the chair. Like, isn't that fucking genius? Like, to get a bolt of cloth to give it, like, let's make some comics that look like this. That's what I'm saying. Everything in here, I feel like we could be, we could be stealing from. You know, look at how elaborate, like, backgrounds are. This reminds me of manga, like, in Understanding Comics, where it's like the backgrounds are so elaborately constructed, and then your figures are just these super simple figures in front of them. That's genius. This is very inspiring stuff. Yeah, I've spent a good bit of time with this book, and uh, whenever I saw it pop up in my feed as being online, like I pulled it off the shelf and started again, I was looking at this, right? This is like your your storyboard layouts. Yeah, like the pan and stuff. Like yeah, when, when a TV and, screen and you see it. Like angles all set up. You see the spaceship crashing through the barn, the chicken coop, you know, into the tree. Just very inventive. And the perspective, like this is your alternative to perspective, at least to like having your vanishing points and everything ruled out very neatly. And MGM, we get into Tex Avery. So, you know, like there will be some names that you recognize. Chuck Jones will be mentioned as we as we go through because like all of this stuff existed concurrently in the 50s. Like all the Warner Brothers stuff that I grew up watching, it's happening at this time, you know, to sort of like put it in that perspective and to try to place like all of this is the same time. That's so wild to me how much was going on. Like I mentioned LA and New York. But there was a shop in Miami. There was one in Detroit. You know, it's where you can imagine Chicago. There'd be these little industrial kind of uh, needs for that. If you're doing industrial work, which a lot of filmmakers did, you know, forever. I mean, they might still do it. You would have those regional shops. Look at how far out something like that is. It could be a kid's drawing. Yeah. You know, but just really like working out, like in terms of drawing, like all of this stuff is pretty, pretty wild. Like very experimental. You know, I don't know that it makes it to the finished screen. But some of it might, because, like, look at the background for indicating waves is just these rough, amazing lines. And you see these things, like, you watch an old Mr. Magoo or something, and then you see it, and it all reads, but you don't have this, the time to appreciate it. So you could see it, like, here, and I love seeing the shadow of, like, mm-hmm. the cell on top of the background. You could see that little, there, there's a, there's a industry jargon term for the little shadow that you see from uh, animation cells i don't I always it. like the couple of times that i've faked like an animation look that's one of those fakes you put in in, in photoshop is to have that little bit of shadow coming off of the uh is the cell as, part is it as simple as like using drop shadow filter or is it something more complex yeah, sometimes i'll create a new layer and just blur it you know and make it all black but yeah there's no there's no shortage to that look at this line too for again everything existing at once and you can kind of go oh it's all this modern influence but there's also a lot of room for style within that modern influence like look at these lines could be steadman or something yeah yeah and you and you would see i, I feel like bakshi push it the furthest of, of just rawness like like these guys are like have like an elegance and things and like bakshi like took his shit to the gutter you know like it was just super underground with it saul bass yeah that was another book on the shelf that i was uh that you know you, you look at these bookshelves it's like oh what should we talk about Man, it, it's amazing the uh, the overlaps there too. This is some more of that drawing where the line is kind of this like rougher, sketchier line. And I mean, this is you know that's that's kind of a a rough, not a finished piece. But I still love that line. Yeah. 
very expressive. Very much of a time. Like, you see that line, you think 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there are, uh, you know, like, with these storyboards, it says, I don't know if this is, uh, I think the artist might be unknown on here, but they reference, like, influenced by the work of mad creator Harvey Kurtzman. And I was looking at it, and it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, how much does that look like? Like that panel in particular, those figures all look like they could be out of a Harvey Kurtzman layout. You see that you see those three dudes standing inside the Bigfoot uh, fo uh, footprint yep. in, on on that one cover, and uh, that jagged line it would find its way into Mad Magazine with like the work of like Paul Coker. Yeah, I was um, I was also looking at noses because I remember when I first started going to SPX and it felt like somebody would do a nose that would be like some odd shape and then it was like everybody's copying that nose <laughs> and they would be something like this except those are four very distinct different nose models you also see a lot of the um the modern architecture like if you see a house or something in the backgrounds where it's like just be kriegstein doing backgrounds you know is is is, is uh the attention to detail and those kinds of things I think they do a good job just in terms of book production of pulling a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And a lot of this animation, like, you know, there's commercials, there's features, there's cartoons, obviously, but there's also a lot of animated sequences that would go into films, like in your uh, title sequences and yeah, things of that true. nature. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I know that so, was something so, that Saul Bass would yeah. do quite a few of. Look at the bold line. It's almost a shape, it's so bold. That's something that you can steal. Totally. But I mean, this book is full of stuff that you could steal. Yeah, cutting down textured papers and putting stuff underneath that. Yeah, no holding lines for, for your shapes. I love all the backgrounds too. I always think about doing backgrounds and characters separately where you would do like a big piece of background and then you could be doing like snippets. I think Howard Chaikin talked about that whenever we interviewed him yeah. with, uh, I forget the comic where he started doing that. But Some department why not? store he drew. Yeah, why not? Yeah, draw that department store once. You don't have to fucking draw it a bunch more times. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Terry Tunes. So some of this stuff is bigger studios that, again, you know, cartoons that we saw as kids in syndication. Yeah. Terry Tunes. They, they were the notorious VHS tapes that were at, like, the DNK, Five and Dime, that, that were, like, light. Yeah. Only had a half hour of yeah. spool on it. <laughs> I know this and, exactly. And, and might eat up your fucking VCR. Like, put those into your VCR at your own risk. Jules Pfeiffer. Yeah. Talk about a dude, like a career overview of that guy. Did everything. Did everything. Fucking wrote carnal knowledge. I think he's got an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. Did everything at a high level too. Yeah. Just you. You can't. You can't buy taste. Check that out for stylization. Like yeah. as an airplane and a and a whole airstrip. It's it's almost stick figure airplanes. Yep. It's all there, man. It really is. I guess you're Mr. Magoo. The UPA stuff. Like the UPA stuff is is like, what I think of. That's the big one. I'm trying to think. We must have started that. That's, and that's Gene Deitch. That's what this is built around, right? Gene, yeah, he's in here. Um, but this is like a giant chapter because I think the UPA stuff really is kind of the, I don't know, the biggest beacon of this type of, of era. Fucking love Mr. Magoo, man. And these are those backgrounds I was talking about, like, the hell with traditional perspective. You know, that reads as a 3D environment. Easy. None of it, none of it is, uh, you know, following, like... Like these buildings, you're seeing both sides of these buildings in perspective. Heck no. Look how good that plane is, too. Yeah. And no smoking was, was part of that in 1955. I thought people used to smoke on planes. Oh, they do. You let, I mean, that curtain is, is oh, yeah, cordoning so. off the uh, smokers. Keep, keep the smoke back there. These are a couple of good examples of, again, that like just skewed perspective. It reads. It's easy to understand the space. But you're not rolling off vanishing points anywhere. Or yeah, and like that stuff that. is definitely pulling from that German expressionism stuff. Dr. Caligari. 
the range too of like how far up you build these images from like very rough sketches to I mean like these guys could be painters there it is Gerald McBoing Boing man Dr. Seuss that's where Boing Boing gets its name this is pretty fun they talk about his animation style and like the way the figures moved on the screen almost remind me in the description of like video games like early early uh, 2d video games where your characters would sort of move yeah and let me let me say something about this stuff because like the Gerald McBoing Boing cartoon it's like a 10 minute thing on TV uh, but it has such a long-lasting cultural sort of imprint like you couldn't tape it you could only catch it on TV I have no idea how they would disseminate it because it wasn't a long thing so that like that's an interesting part like you don't we don't have that context of like how they would put th this stuff out but it this was super influential you know he he goes they run through obviously um Bobe Cannon I don't know if that's Bobe or Bob, but that influence that you're talking about, he's at Disney, MGM, and UPA. You know, like they talk about like Chuck Jones unit for many years after Cannon left is still exhibiting some of those lessons. So it is old school the way these influences would be spread around. Yeah. You know, it'd be like hands on. It'd almost be like disciples, right? Like you work with this guy for a while and then he moved on to the next job and you remembered whatever you learned from him. Sure. You know, yeah. you're imparting that wisdom to the next group that you're that you're messing with. This is the same creator, same director here, Canon, once again, but you see him with a little bit of a different aesthetic for a different job. Yeah, the people who are into this stuff, like who are who are animators, like they, they know the names too. Like oh, yeah. Like I, I think even Scott I think Scott Morse was even taught by you know, the nine old men. You know the OG. I think he worked with Maurice Noble and, and like he's one of those guys that's that big influence on everybody. Um I thought about digging that book out, but yeah, it is, it is, you go back through there, like the nine old men, like it's small groups that extend that influence. And then their students just go in every direction, their students and collaborators. I was looking at this feels like that's a comic. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I you know, and, and specifically that'd be, that'd be like a no brow comic, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah, it has yeah. that kind of, you can imagine it multicolor, no holding lines. Look at how great those are too. Again, for like character design, super simple, but a whole range of characters and just a couple of variations of marks. Yeah, I, I I look at this and I wonder like how is how isn't there more of this influence visible in comics today? Well, yeah, sure. And, and like with the interesting thing about stuff that's this stylized is it really is so rooted in that period of time that uh, it does it becomes old fashioned, and and there is like a need for the contemporary certainly on TV in a, in a pop culture sense. Uh, so you can see that it's like so designy, so stylized that that it can't be evergreen you know and if you draw a comic now like in that style like it would it would scream 50s and that i mean that's what they did with ren and stimpy you know they used all these lessons and pulled from that old material this is the um the disney guys and you're getting like bios of a bunch of these disney animators who again just super influential to generations yeah and it's it's great like as a book and again this thing is available so everybody can track this stuff down and kind of like read this stuff but if you want to expand who you're pulling from and, and kind of your thought processes like this book is a really good place to start because it'll give you a bunch of names and styles to look at and see what you respond to i was admiring these two as like backdrops i mean this is like I hate to say Jackson Pollock, but sure. I mean, look at the texture that's, you know, you're just piling up texture to, there to create your, your uh, forest floor. Yeah. Brilliant. And then like the shapes for your fields and even the shapes is like background, you know, tree lines and forests. 
And and you can't sleep on the pink, right? Like there's not pink grass, but you do it. Yeah, you do it, and you would have no doubt what you're you're looking at a farm there. Put some cows on it. No, no, you. It's unmistakable. These I think are all color studies, but this was the same deal. Like I was looking at these and being like, oh, that's a painting. Like I just put that painting on the wall. Sure. Yeah, same same deal. Just just brilliant. Like this is a Bob Ross episode. And just dragging dragging a thick bristled brush across the whole thing, you just created atmosphere. You just created wind. I would see a little bit of this, like Scott Morris, whenever he's doing all kinds of stuff. Like sometimes he would do that stuff where he's painting like several pages at once and with sponges and everything. Calls to mind an image like that a little bit. Sure, yeah, yeah. And look at that marker study. Reminds me a little bit of like the uh, color storyboards that Pixar has published. Mm. There's a lot of places to draw from. You know, whenever we're critical of, of color, like this is the reason why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Think these, about like, these are quickly jammed together studies that are just brilliant. Yeah, like 90%, 99% of comic book colorists, they don't have this book on their shelf, man. No, and it's a shame. Like if all you had this for was color, you would benefit from it. Absolutely. It's wild really gives you a uh, pretty clear composition stuff too. Like how do you use a little bit of color to draw draw where you want us to look? And it reads as like illumination. You know, you have your main light here and it's like you've, you've seen this in real life. And also extreme foreshortening. You know, like we're always trying to do that in comics. Like this is another way to do it. Great depth. Playing with perspective once again. Like are any of those lines parallel? Yeah, and you just don't need it. This is your Warner Brothers section. So these are a lot of car cartoons that I would watch over and over it used to be heavy circulation whenever i was a kid i have such a fondness for them yeah but but they start to they start to get rooted in uh, like the early ones are abstract but then they start to get rooted more and more in accuracy and stuff and so these are based on layouts by maurice noble who i had mentioned like this whole big section talks about him and his influence look at the oddness of like that for a tree design yeah just completely bizarre but i always love this stuff the trees and the rocks never figure out it's so stylized like i almost can't understand how you get there right but at the same time like it's beautiful and the payoff's amazing and talking about color like here are your quick color studies on top of the we've got our our composition now let's do a couple of quick color studies to see what works again you know steve rude does this sure it can be done in comics so bold very wild with the color choices and then like collage elements once again i mean it's a piece of raw magazine shit, you know small yeah. buyer shit yeah Sur surrealism like you could probably put this on the wall of a typical gallery easy 1950s yeah it's a wild document and a lot of inspiration to be drawn from this like look at that man what a wild drawing all line work all line work all different color paints i guess and inks and painting on black. Yeah, and so it's like you gotta like, probably I guess draw these guys and you gotta hit those little lines in there, not overlap them. Also, it's nuts to think of this thing as, there's no digital in here. Everything no. is on paper That's that, that we paper. just flipped through. Yep. Yeah, a lot of inspiration out there and kind of cool that this has made it into, uh, into I guess not Pub public domain, but at least you can it's access available. it uh, publicly without violating anybody's uh, anybody's rights for it. Yeah. And uh, we always talk about it's cool to see some of these people. So the more, you know, you know, these these uh, creators, 
um, give you a chance to actually see them in some of the studios and, and see what they look like. Always fun. Yeah. Further reading. And here's your credits for like, think of all the artwork that's in here. <laughs> that's uh, you're really extending out your, your Rolodex to uh, get all the artwork that you could find. Cause man, 1950s animation art, Ed, how hard is it to find just original comic art, let alone like production art that's probably been thrown out. And here's our, our creator of this book, quite a, uh, quite an undertaking and cartoonbrew.com I think is where I saw that this was posted online That's so um, still maintains that and you know one more resource for people who are trying to draw and bring characters to life and everything that we kind of talk about on here but maybe a slightly different art form so just real quick I got a little extra content man that I don't think would yield its own uh, episode but it seems seems prescient for a conversation about animation production art so like my favorite, you can just yeah, yank that stuff out. My favorite uh, place to go to in Nakano Broadway Mall is the, uh, there's a black market. They call him the black market animation dealer. And uh, you could just, my favorite thing is I just like to go there to uh, look through everything. I spent three whole days from about noon to 8 p.m. going through all the portfolios. He updated his uh his booth so now like the spines of the portfolios all have english because i used to nice. have to, i used to have to use uh did you ever did you go there i did not know broadway it's off in the cut and a lot of those businesses disappeared and when i went to nakano that's the first place i went to because i needed to see if he was still around and this is gorgeous yeah out in the main section like there are the just these blue bins full of these things you know like this is like 50 pieces of paper, yeah. maybe maybe more. It's it's one sequence. Right. Wow. And that's really cool. How it's grouped. It cost it cost $10 for this. Well spent. And you know they hot shot it, right? So like so like they hot shot it with like a cool robot. That's a great image. And then like what the scene is What the scene is. Oh yeah, and that's like the the sheet that tells you how long each image stays on the screen and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just a, like, it's the robot is like on a conveyor belt or something, and it's it's advancing to the screen. So it's it's going to zoom into this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just, you know, nothing. It's it's just him advancing closer These and closer. These tight drawings, though, it's, th the line work of that, that kind of animation to me is so freaking berserk. Yeah. It just blows my mind. Yeah. So that's like that sequence. And then, uh, you know, this one was $8. And great drawing it's worth it for that piece of paper alone man oh wow it's a it's an animation it's a series called uh, it's called dxd and i think that one of the d's is dungeon so if kayfabe the kayfabe audience no, knows what that might be uh, i i i love that there's color on these yeah you know like for for kind of the abstract of a drawing i think it really adds a lot and then like on a color piece of paper it's such it's just cool to see it very pleasing to the eyes yeah isn't that's that, amazing isn't that awesome it really yeah, I love it. And then I love whenever you get like the tight drawing. Right. Yeah, these were in a, um, they were sold in these plastic bags. And so you couldn't like look in them. And I just took a shot. I'm like, okay, one's 800 yen, one's 1,000 yen. Uh, I'll, get, I'll give it a shot and see what they look like and, and crack them open. Can you imagine drawing with that kind of a line? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving in that direction. It's really attractive. If you're, if you're doing color, like it's a really interesting way to approach color in a weird way. It reminds me of Darrow. It's a totally different line, but it's that thing of like, it's all line. It's clear line. It's clear it line at like a nth degree of precision. One of the guys who I look, who've been looking at a lot is Akira Toriyama mm -hmm. and, and he uses that line and it's all sound, you know, he, he's, he's, 
it's very sound drawing, very sound construction. And I don't know. I just thought it would be a fun thing yeah, to show off. I was, I was actually just going through some stuff. And I'm like, I didn't even remember I bought these. But then, <laughs> of course, I did. Uh, and, uh, yeah, here they go. So if you're going to Nakano Broadway, uh, one of my favorite booths is Fourth Floor. It's off in the cut. You, it's a, Nakano Broadway is a labyrinth, so you're getting lost. But you go to the Black Market Animation Dealer. He's got three portfolios like Dragon Ball art. He's got Studio Ghibli pieces. I was looking for Ninja Scroll. Couldn't find no Ninja Scroll. My my, my people's bought uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion cells and artwork and production pieces. Like, it's all there. I spent three whole days going through the history of Japanese animation. Just, and, it's, wow. and it's very nondescript. You know, all this stuff fell off the back of a truck. Yes. And, and ends up at, you know, at that guy's little booth. Of course. He don't want no pictures being taken. When he sells you the shit, he rips off the price and sells it to you. It's <laughs> it's it's some shit. There's something going on there. But uh it's amazing. It's the greatest museum uh of of Japan as far as I'm concerned, man. Like it, you, you can you could spend your entire trip just at that dude's joint. Wow. Anyhow, nice. Jimmy, awesome showing that off, man. Had to show that little piece off, and the kayfabe audience who participated in the uh, live stream, who gave to the Patreon, uh, got first dibs on on everything. Uh, you can hit the link in the description below this video and uh, support the cartoonist kayfabe channel that way. But there are other ways to go about that too. Jimmy, tell the people what you have out there, man. Pick up my latest books: Street Angel, Deadly Girl Alive, The Plain Janes, and Hulk Grand Design. Wherever you buy books. You can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug and see more of my comics and original art, including my upcoming comics. And you can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics there. You see the bibliography in front of you. Support the books. Uh, Red Room is the comic I'm working on right now. And uh, Red Room Trigger Warnings, Red Room the Anti-Social Network, Trade Paperback are out there on the stands as we speak. I'm serializing new stuff on my Patreon for three bucks. Uh, X-Men Grand Design, Hip Hop Family Tree is the perennial. Grab that one wherever you see it. WYSIWYG. I have a link in the description below this video Add to my link tree. Hit those up, support the books. Uh, what else do we have? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the link below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, hats, mugs, fanny packs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is also under this video. Another great way to support the channel. Jimmy, given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Make more comics.